The New York Football Podcast is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Giants ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Some great features on the app. When you're looking through the tickets, you can see in real time the panoramic seat view of your seat where you'll be sitting. You can move the phone side to side and see the view and also, of course, the easy to tap checkout. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last minute tickets. You're listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. Frustration boiling over for the New York Giants. Welcome into the New York Football Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Dan Duggan and Dan. 31-26 loss to the Lions. The team is going to have a players-only uh, meeting to try to figure things out. Meanwhile, the team has made a trade on this Monday. We have a lot to get to. We'll also talk about Daniel Jones, and really the one positive of the game is the way that Daniel Jones played in it. But let's start uh, from the beginning, I guess, and just the frustration. Pat Shermer dropping an F-bomb in the post-game uh, press conference in the locker room. Uh, the players clearly fired up. This team is in a bad mental state right now. Yeah, it's funny. I think, uh, you know, Pat Shermer was very apologetic after letting that F1 slip, but I think fans are probably kind of happy to see it because if anything, he's probably gotten more criticism for being so sort of milk toast in press conferences. So, it was, you know, it was, it was nice to maybe see a little bit of fire, uh, but yeah, he doesn't want to be projecting that. And it was just kind of funny because it was, it was more almost like a slip of the tongue because he wasn't really saying it with, with the emphasis you might, you know, use that word. But I think, you know, just a lot of frustration, like you said, it carried over into the locker room where, it just felt like this team reached a boiling point. Now you might say two and six, you know, if, if maybe this, you know, players only meeting spurs some change, why not do it three weeks ago? Um, but that's neither here nor there. They, uh, they waited till the midpoint and the frustration is definitely, definitely building up. And I think the trade deadline adds a sense of urgency. So they're trying to get this thing fixed. I'm not very optimistic. They'll be able to, because as I've been saying for a long time now, it's a talent issue. So, you know, it's great that guys, you know, are accountable and, and they care, but it just doesn't make a whole lot of difference when, you know, Grant Haley can't cover Danny Amendola in the slot or, you know, Nate Solder can't block, you know, Trey Flowers off the edge. I mean, those types of problems aren't going to get fixed, um, you know, by guys hashing it out in the meeting room. So uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, an F-bomb from the coach and a meeting probably doesn't mean much, but at least it was at least it was a little bit of a a detour from the typical, like, you know, everything's fine. We just got to keep chipping away. Like they at least showed a little fire, which was, you know, kind of a welcome change up after yet another loss. Yeah. We were supposed to learn about this team in these last two weeks and they lose to the Cardinals lose to the Lions. So I think we did learn something about this team. They dropped a two and six. Now here's the problem though. They're two and six, which would make you think Dan, that they'd be sellers here before the trade deadline. Maybe want to pick up some extra draft picks and heading into next year. But instead, they go the other route, and they've made a deal, not just a trade, but a trade with the Crosstown Jets for Leonard Williams. Here's the deal. The Giants give up a third-round pick next year, a fifth-rounder in 2021, to bring in a player in Leonard Williams who's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. So there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, just your thoughts on bringing in a player when this season seems pretty much lost as far as a run to the postseason or anything like that. 
I mean, give this to, to Dave Gettleman. The element of surprise is, is strongly in his favor because <laughs> he he does things that no one can foresee happening. Um, you know, so you got another trade that sort of came out of the blue. I mean, Jay Glazer, I think at this point we should say anything he says, take it to the bank. Because as far as I, I'm as far as I'm aware, he's the first one to put out there that the Giants had interest in uh, in Leonard Williams. He said it yesterday before the uh, during the pregame show, and you know, 24 hours later, Leonard Williams is, is you know changing uh, locker rooms in MetLife Stadium. So. Uh, Glazer says it, take it to the bank. But I mean, listen, I don't think this move is really about adding Leonard Williams for the next eight games. I don't, I mean, I would hope it's not some misguided idea that they're, you know, one defensive lineman away from, you know, turning two and six into, you know, 10 and six and making some crazy second half run. I, I think they're aware that that's not realistic, but they can certainly spin it as sort of being part of the rebuild for the fact that Leonard Williams is 25 years old a former first round pick, you know, Dave Gettleman was in Carolina as the GM when, when Williams came out, you'd have to assume he had a, a high opinion of him because certainly, you know, you talk to people around the jets and no one's exactly weeping to see Williams go. You know, he didn't live up to that draft billing, but you know, Gettleman fancies himself as, you know, the hog Molly master. And so if he sees something there, um, he's certainly projecting that they can get Williams in here and he'll be a big piece going forward. But that is sort of the big catch because they just gave a third round pick in 2020 and as of right now a fifth round pick in 2021 but let's count that as a fourth round pick in 2021 because the condition on that pick is that the giants can agree to an extension with williams by the start of the league year now if they aren't able to agree to an extension with williams by the end of well by the start of the next league year this will have been a colossal mistake because you can't give up a third round pick for an eight game rental and then just you know hope you can make something work i mean you know Agents and, and front offices have a way of talking. There has to be some you know, loose understanding you'd think of the terms it would take to get a long-term deal done. At the same time, though, if I'm Leonard Williams, I'm about to become a free agent. Why would I agree to a team-friendly deal with a new team you know, months before free agency starts? So I shouldn't say you know, we should count that as a fourth-round pick because maybe the Giants resign, but maybe they have to wait until Williams tests the waters because, I mean, he certainly has no loyalty to the Giants. You know, they traded for him. He gets to you know, check it out for two months, and, and maybe they can woo him during that period. But again, if I'm him, I'm absolutely waiting until you know, the new league year starts in March and seeing what the other 31 teams you know, want to offer me. You know the Giants like you, so it's not like you're going to you know, go home empty-handed. Um, you know, obviously, negotiations are, are helped when you have a lot of interest, so I, I don't think it would really be in his best interest to just you know, take whatever the Giants are offering now and, and lock it up. So you know, that's, the, that's the gamble that they made that – you know, they believe that, you know, they can sign him, you know, by the start of the league year. Because otherwise, if you just were going to spend whatever it took to get him, you would just wait until he's a free agent. And you wouldn't have given up a third and either a fourth or fifth round pick. So that's the part that's just so hard to wrap your mind around. Because usually when you're trading for guys in the last year of their contract, it's because you're a contender. You're saying, listen, this is the missing piece to get us over the hump. All right, it hurts to give up a mid-round draft pick. But listen, we need to try and win this year. Obviously, that's not the, the boat the Giants are in. So... They, it's 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 a hard move to fully wrap your mind around. I, I you know it's tough to do this podcast now because you know we got 24 hours to the trade deadline. There's a good chance there's gonna be other shoes to drop, so maybe things will start to make more sense, you know, as things unfold. But as of right now, just giving up that draft capital to basically have exclusive rights to negotiate with Williams for like a four month window, it's a hard sell to me that it's worth it. And again, if they come out you know on Tuesday and say here's the five year extension. Well, then I'm wrong, and, and they clearly knew they were going to get this locked up. But I just think if you're Williams, there's really no benefit to agreeing to something like that right now. 
Yeah, totally agree. Now let's take it the next step because say, even if they do get that deal done, say that five-year deal gets done tomorrow and, and we say, okay, maybe that's worth the, the draft picks. But what about the player himself? How does Leonard Williams actually fit into this Giants defense and does he fill a much needed need in that defense? If he, And I guess, you know, if you look at a guy who hasn't had sack numbers and hasn't gotten to the quarterback, um, no. So we have to assume that he's going to be more effective for the Giants. Yeah, and that's the other part about this. It's a little interesting. When you looked at sort of the, the biggest holes this roster had, I don't think anyone would have felt, you know, like defensive line was at the top of the list. Now, he hasn't lived up to first-round billing, and I'm not going to pretend like I've watched, you know, every snap Leonard Williams played. You're going based on a lot of what, what's out there in perception. You know, I'll talk to some people in the next couple of hours to, to better form my opinion. But I will say, I mean, even though the production hasn't been there, I, you know, I feel pretty comfortable saying he's a better player than, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson or BJ Hill. So those guys are going to probably see their playing time cut. You know, there's always a chance, you know, maybe one of them gets traded and that's how you get a draft pick back. You know, we don't know, but I think, you know, you've made the defensive line better, you know, whether Williams again has lived up to what he was supposed to be when he came out of USC, that's not really the giants concern. They're looking forward, obviously. And you have a defensive line with Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, you have guys like Hill and Tomlinson to plug in the rotation. That's a, you know, it's a better defensive line than it was before this trade, but it just, it just becomes, is this the best way to use your assets? Cause you know, a third round pick is, is a pretty valuable asset. And could that have been used to, to get a safety, to get an offensive lineman, to get a edge rusher? You know, we don't know, but it's just, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. And then again, you're committing to spending big money. It'll be interesting to see, you know, sort of how his market does develop because as much as maybe the perception of him is down, I would still think he's going to command, you know, a, a decent chunk of change here in free agency. I mean, he is still a former first-round pick. There's been flashes. Um, you know, people are, you know, looking for players like this. Clearly, the Giants showed, you know, his value just in giving up the draft pick. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's going to be probably a, a fairly sizable contract to keep him. So you just, it, you know, kind of always comes back to, to you know, resources and, and how you're allocating them. But I mean, in terms of just on the field, you know, they're a better football team tomorrow you know with Leonard Williams lining up and even you know you think obviously going forward you know he's gonna be better than you know maybe whatever that third round pick would have been in 2020 it's just again it's like that third round pick has value could you have used it in a different way and one thing I'll add is we were talking about the contract earlier just in case we weren't going to circle back the one thing I've seen out there that I, I don't put any stock into is well listen they, they gave up the third round pick they get eight games if they don't like him or if he leaves and, you know, signs elsewhere, they'll just get a comp pick back for him in 2021. It's not that easy. I feel like Giants fans have all of a sudden gone comp pick crazy because, you know, they're supposed to get this third round pick for, for Landon Collins. They only get that pick if they don't sign someone who would have a big contract to cancel out whatever Landon Williams gets. And all we've heard about is how much cap space the Giants are going to have in 2020. So presumably they're going to spend it. So if it's not on Leonard Williams, it's going to be on somebody else. And then he goes elsewhere. Well, now you're not getting a third round pick for Leonard Williams because you just spent a ton of it on Jadavian Clowney or, you know, whoever else you're going to sign. So don't I wouldn't factor that into the equation at all, like comp picks or anything like that. I mean, if, if they're making this move, it's because they are going to re-sign Leonard Williams. Again, if they don't do that, I think that would make this trade, you know, look a heck of a lot worse. And then the other thing I've seen I've, I've, out there is that, well, they have a third round pick for Collins. So it's basically a wash. Well, well no, I mean, you, you can have two third round picks. That, that's allowed. It's not like you only have to keep one of them. And obviously – you know, the way things are trending, the Giants third round pick, which is, is what's being dealt here, is probably going to be around 70. The, you know, Landon Collins comp pick will be 95, 100. So, I mean, there is a difference there, but just this idea that, well, hey, hey they still got a third round pick. Well, yeah, you have two of them. So it's not just a, 
you know, you just plug one in for the other and you can always, always have both. So I just want to add those two points. I've seen a lot of that out there and a lot of confusion about it, but just the idea that, Hey, if, if they don't resign Williams, no big deal. They get a comp pick in 2021, you know, not likely because they're probably going to spend on other players. And, and I wouldn't think they'll be factoring in, you know, any, any big comp picks in 2021 because they're going to be spenders in, in 2020. Yeah, great point there. And um, if they're going to make any more moves in the next 24 hours, you would assume at this point it'll be trading players away, which is what we kind of expected all the moves to be for the Giants before this Leonard <laughs> Williams deal. So the other guys that are that are out there, we talked about it a lot last week on the podcast, but uh, Janoris Jenkins is one of them, and, and he was hot after the game. He said, Tuesday's my birthday. Uh, and then he went on to say, I don't give a bleep what they do. I'll just come and play football like I do every week. So whatever happens, happens. So Jenkins sounds like it's almost one foot out the door or doesn't care either way. And then Alec Oldertree is another guy, although the rumors were that he's the guy who called this players only meeting, right? So he's still invested in this team. And then Nate Solder is the other guy with some value. But we talked about the fact that then you're taking away the protection for your franchise quarterback. So with those other three guys out there, is is Jenkins the obvious guy that's most likely to to be dealt yeah i mean i'll say this he has a way with words because it's funny <laughs> you said he was hot and obviously you're just reading the quotes he wasn't he gives these quotes these unbelievable quotes that you would think maybe a guy would be fired up or upset like so nonchalant and <laughs> and, and he's just i mean he has a way about him it's you know these south florida defensive backs all are wired a, a different way and he's he's about he marches to his own beat as much as anybody i have ever covered so no for him, it seems like the only thing that matters to Janoris Jenkins is that he turns 31 on Tuesday and he's going to celebrate. So if that's in Manhattan, if that he goes home to Florida, if that's in Kansas City, wherever it may be, Janoris Jenkins is going to have fun on Tuesday night. And if he wakes up on Wednesday morning still in East Rutherford, he's going to report to practice and you know play out the rest of the year with the Giants. So he is a guy who, uh, you know, his name's been up in rumors a lot. So he, he just kind of rolls at this point. And I really think he doesn't care. Like, I mean, he knows it's it's not in his control. He's not someone who I don't think is going to get any gray hairs worrying about it. So, I mean, he's, he's as he said, he's going to show up and play football. So it just depends on if he, you know what practice facility he's reporting to on Wednesday. Uh, I think he's the most likely guy to get traded. But again, with Gettleman, who knows? I mean, he has, has certainly shown that he is, uh, he is not afraid to, to throw a curveball. Um, but again, I just keep going back to Jenkins. Just makes a lot of sense for cap reasons, for age reasons. They have some young guys that you, you know, conceivably – uh, get a chance to you know get in there for these last eight games and get to see something out of them, but who? I mean, it's just really hard to determine where they think this roster is. I mean, Jenkins is signed through next year, so maybe they say, "Listen, now we got Leonard Williams. We're going to spend more money in free agency. This defense will turn around drastically next year, and we want Jenkins to still be here as the number one corner." It, it's really, really hard to say. Um, you know, Ogletree is a guy. I think if you could unload him, you would do it because I, I just don't think you know. I think with Jenkins, he's still you know a good player. He's not probably at the level he was at when they signed him. But he's still, you know, four, four interceptions, I think a second in the league. He's, he's still a productive player. You know, Ogletree is just not, and, you know, at that level and with the cap hits, I think you'd be, you'd be happy to move him. But I, I just don't think there's going to be a lot of interest and a lot of value to moving him. So I don't know if it's worth moving him for like a sixth or a seventh when they could always just cut him after the season too. So, I mean, it's not like they're, they're tied to him for too long. And, then, yeah, you know, I've made my feelings, you know, clear on Solder that I, I think it'll be a bad move just in terms of, you know, Daniel Jones, you know, his development really being contingent on having – good protection of course then Nate Solder goes out and gives up another blindside sack that you know results in a fumble that you know fortunately Jones fell on but Solder's not making a lot making it very easy for me to make this case because he just really has not looked good he had a, a bad hold on the the flea flicker play that was a successful play that got called back but, but again I just I don't know who is going to give up a lot because you know the other 31 teams have the same tape you know that we're watching every week so 
it's not as if some team is probably going to be desperate enough to give like a premium draft pick. So again, do you give up your left tackle for say a fourth round pick and then you have to plug in some unknown backup and, and ride that out for the last eight games while your rookie quarterback is really showing some, some strong flashes and, and potentially, you know, set him back because he starts getting happy feet worried about protection. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's sort of to be determined. I saw one interesting report that maybe the Patriots would be uh, interested in re-signing Solder, which would be quite a, uh, a turnabout. And you know he would go back there and, and play lights out because they just, you know, they, they sprinkle that magic dust on him over there and uh, everyone plays their best for them. But it, it's like I said, it's going to be a fascinating 24 hours. You know, all three of those names should come up and probably a name or two that we're not even talking about because, again, we, we just you know kind of never know what Gettleman has up his sleeve. And when there is a deal, if it's a big one, we'll have uh, we'll either tack on to this podcast. You may not even hear this part or <laughs> or we'll have an emergency podcast, obviously, here on The Athletic as well. We'll be with you through it all. Um, all right. To the players only meeting. Um, this happens in all sports sometimes. Um, I feel like it, it happens maybe more in other sports than football just because of the 16-game nature of football. Maybe it's it's not always as necessary. Um, sometimes teams have players-only meetings and go on crazy win streaks, and whether or not it had anything to do with the meeting, we never know. But when you think about the Giants, it seemed like, if nothing else, when you're talking about this players-only meeting, it seems collective that everybody in that locker room after the game kind of was on the same page that, hey, we need to bring things together and, and get this thing going. Um, a lot of guys had a lot to say. Jabril Peppers was one of those guys as well. So do you feel that at least it's not one guy saying, hey, we need to talk about this and the rest of the guys are on their way out um, to dinner? It's it's actually all the guys that want to get this turned around and want to talk this out? Oh, it's funny. I was, I was almost going to cut you off, but then you, you transitioned into the way I, I am going to answer the question. It was actually kind of odd because – Jenkins is the one who spilled the beans at first, which was funny because, I mean, he's not the guy who certainly called the team meeting, but he just kind of said it off the cuff. And and then we went down the line. It was like Jabril Peppers was next to him. Peppers is a much more kind of passionate you know, speaker, and he, he really had some strong comments on it. Al Golgotry was the next guy, and he's a captain. And there was kind of some suspicions that he was going to call it, and, and NJ.com you know, reported that it was him. He played a coy, saying, oh, you know, it was all 53 guys, you know, to your point. But then I kind of started asking around other guys, and a lot of guys didn't seem to know about it, which I found kind of <laughs> odd and maybe telling, you know, because I don't know. I mean, I don't know how that gets called. I mean, the locker room is kind of like there was a, a row of lockers in the middle of split. So maybe it was just the defensive guys in one corner saying, hey, we got to have this meeting. And all those guys saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the offensive linemen are on the other side and the skill position guys on the other side. Maybe they didn't even know about it because it's funny. I did check with a few guys and, and they were like, that's the first I heard of it. And uh, even Marcus Golden, who's a linebacker who was, you know, right next to Peppers and Ogletree in the locker room. Once they got done talking, he was next up, and he hadn't heard about it. So I, I don't know how the, the word really spread there. I think maybe it, it, it took on a life of its own once they started talking to us about it, but I don't know how much internally uh, it had been hammered out. And then even, you know, on Monday, we didn't have access in the locker room where, where all, you know, 53 players would be available. So they, you know, did conference calls. And Daniel Jones and Ogletree were the two guys in the conference calls. And they, you know, they basically said there was the meeting, but wouldn't, you know, share any details, which is, you know, how they probably should handle these things. But of course, we're reporters, and so I'm digging in, you know, talk, reaching out to other players to see what, you know, I, any details I could get. And the only player I've heard back from so far said, I, I wasn't in any meeting today. Like, there was, oh, no, there was no meeting. So, like, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, it, it's like, maybe it's just a group of guys are getting together and the so-called leaders. I, I don't know. Or maybe it's just the defense. It's hard for me to figure it out because I was surprised, you know, when this guy was like, oh, I didn't go to any meeting today. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. I think this team can't even put together a, uh, a team meeting properly. 
which maybe explains a lot of things. I wonder if the ping pong table was involved at all. <laughs> yeah, ping pong table's gone. We've had the players only meeting. I mean, there's not much there's not much left to resort. They've already done a quarterback change. I mean, it's just got to be a coach getting fired. It's like the last card in the deck for a losing team to to try to, to rally the troops. And I think, again, we're at this point where, you know, the two and six, maybe the meeting should be called two and four if it was going to have any sort of impact on this season because I think they're a little too far down this road for, for anything to really turn it around at this point. Yeah, right before a couple of games that they they thought they could really win and didn't. Um, all right, we're going to talk about Daniel Jones a little bit, his game. But on the negative side, uh, we won't go too deep because – the big story was the trade and, and players only meeting and all of this stuff. But there was some some glaring mistakes that just have become consistencies, Dan. One thing is slow starts. Um, they've fallen behind. It was 10 nothing to the Vikings, 14 nothing to the Patriots, 17 nothing to the Cardinals, then 14 nothing again to the Lions. It's week after week. Uh, they've gone now four straight games without scoring in the first quarter. Um, I mean, to me... When a team gets off to a slow start week after week after week, the first person I'm going to look at is the head coach. Is that where you look, or is this is this problem elsewhere? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know where else you would look, you know, because um, it's his job to get the you know get the guys ready to play, and it's it's been different reasons. Whether it's the you know the defense allows the other team to you know, go down and score, or they have an early turnover, like obviously against the Lions, you know, they have the the quick uh, fumble for a touchdown that puts them in an early hole. But yeah, no, it's a troubling trend, you know, week after week. And, you know, I don't I don't know that it's even like guys, quote unquote, coming out flat. I feel like that's a little bit of like a college or high school thing. I mean, I think these guys come ready to play, but maybe they're just the plan isn't isn't right. The other team is, is a step ahead because of their game plan or, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I just feel like you have to put it on the coach because, I mean, it's hard to go through the roster and say, oh, it's this guy's. It's the left guard's fault that they're coming out slow every week. You know, when it's sort of an all encompassing problem it kind of lies on the feet of the guy at the head of the table. So, I mean, it's just kind of another thing to put on Shermer. It's one of those deals where, you know, you kind of knew that they'd begin off the slow starts, especially the last two weeks, but, you know, you read off those numbers. It's been four weeks now, all four of these losses where, you know, they've, they've spotted the other team points early, and then you're just constantly playing catch up, totally eliminate, you know, any room for error. And, and obviously it was seen. They haven't been able to pull out any of those games. And, and it's just cer- it's certainly something that needs to change. And maybe that's the type of thing that the, the, Players only meeting can change. The guys will come, you know, flying out of the gates on Monday night against Dallas. But um, it is sort of sort of a troubling trend, and it's not something that's super easy to put your finger on exactly why it's happening. Yeah, and as as well as Jones played, um, he did have the one turnover, which is what led to that expletive by Shermer in the post game news conference. And that was a play that that kind of stood out. It was early on. The Lions pick up, scoop it up, and it's Kennard of all people takes it in for the touchdown, uh, seven to nothing Lions. But on that play. There's obviously the offensive line breakdown, and then weird to see Barkley just kind of almost I don't know, I don't know if nonchalance the word, but but not going after it the way you would, you would hope that a guy like that would go after it, and it just plays into this narrative that they're not ready to play, um, and it's seven or nothing on yet another turnover. Right, and I mean, and to Barkley's credit, after the game, you know, he he took accountability for that, and you know, try and like wiggle out of it with any sort of excuse, but it definitely. Uh, you know, it wasn't his finest moment. Uh, it was funny because, again, back to Shermer's F-bomb, you know, he said it wasn't Jones's fault that he got hit. Um, so I took that to mean that, you know, the offensive line had a miscue. But it sort of seemed like from talking to Barkley after the game, it might have been his fault because I guess that middle linebacker was, you know, his guy. And when he didn't blitz right away, Barkley released, and then Detroit timed it up, you know, perfectly. Again, this goes back to the you know, game plan stuff and what teams are seeing on film. 
So then Davis, the middle linebacker, blitzes, and Kennard peeled off to go with Barkley. So it was almost like Detroit kind of knew what the Giants would do. So maybe Barkley, his job there is to stay in and block the middle linebacker. And then he kind of got a little eager to get out. And obviously the timing worked out that you had a free rusher and Jones gets hit in the back. And then we've all seen it so many times when the ball's on the ground or even you see it all the time too when a a receiver makes a catch downfield and dives. And it's crazy when a defensive player just doesn't touch him down. Like just touch him. There's no, there's no harm done if you do that. And anytime you see a ball on the ground, usually you see the defensive players, you know, picking up balls that are clearly incomplete passes and, and trying to run with them. But this one was obviously close enough that, there's no harm in, in going after it, knocking out of bounds, do whatever you have to do. But, yeah, he just kind of hesitated and maybe frustrated, whatever it was. And, and you know, Kennard was was right there, and and he made the play, picked it up, and, and Saquon couldn't get him out of bounds. But like I said, Saquon, you know, he, he beat himself up over that. He didn't, he didn't try to, you know, make any excuses. Because I, I honestly, watching it live, I thought it was incomplete. And then you realize, you know, watching it back, that, you know, clearly it, it did go backwards. But um, certainly not, not Saquon's finest hour. And, and just, you know, a, a rough way to start that game. And it just seems like they kind of find new ways each week to, to sport, uh, spot these other teams' early points. Yeah, and then Stafford obviously was Stafford, 25-32, 342 yards, three touchdowns, uh, the one pick. But this team, that's that's the other thing, right, is inability to, to stop teams from throwing the football. The secondary still struggling. Um, a couple of things, you know, stood out. There was a, a Baker play where he gets burned, and, and it kind of stood out. But um, – quarterbacks can throw the football on the Giants, and, and we see it week after week. Yeah, I mean, the least surprising thing was Stafford lighting them up. I, mean, <laughs> he didn't, I didn't realize at the time. He, I think he was 12 for 12 in the second half. Didn't throw any completion in the second half. Um, you know, I, I try to rewatch the opponent's game, you know, these are like Friday or Saturday, just to get a feel for, you know, how they look. And I'll tweet out a few takeaways. And I watched this one, you know, pretty late once I got to my hotel on Saturday. And my only takeaway was like, Stafford's going to throw for a ton of yards. <laughs> it was like... It was obviously an obvious takeaway. It wasn't a deep, you know, X's and O's breakdown, but I just watched him like, oh my God, like there's no way the Giants can be able to stop this passing attack. They have too many good receivers. He's too good. So, I mean, him carving them up was like the least surprising thing ever. I mean, again, I touched on earlier, like Amendola, just anytime they need the third down completion or a big play, Haley was no match for him. The thing with Baker is, I think maybe it's starting to be a trend where he's good in man-to-man. Like, he, when the balls are thrown downfield, he's usually on his man, you know, in lockstep and playing tight coverage. His problems seem to be in zone, and, and that, I think, is, you know, maybe it's – we always give Jones, Daniel Jones a break for rookie stuff. Maybe it's just rookie stuff. Maybe he just played a lot of man at Georgia. But that deep touchdown uh, early by the Lions, it, it certainly seemed like he came off that route and, and jumped a shorter one, and it left Michael Thomas in, in a really tough spot, and obviously he got beat. But I think that was more on Baker. He should have been dropping with that receiver. So it seems like when you know we go back to early in the season, when he has breakdowns, it's really more uh, zone stuff for me. He's just maybe not understanding the concepts and, and who he's supposed to cover. And then he gave up the other touchdown on the uh, – I think he just – probably if he could do that over probably just knock that ball down so he tried to catch it and and Kenny Galladay just sort of out muscled him for it but I mean he was in he was in good position he just didn't finish that one and then the other big play was the you know kind of throwback flea flicker whatever you want to call it where they got Galladay behind Bethay and listen I mean Bethay it's it's getting hard to to justify keeping him out there I know he's supposed to be a veteran and knows the defense but I mean if, if you can't make plays you can't make plays and I know they don't have any you know great options behind him but I just don't know how many how many times you can see him either you know, be late or get beat or, or miss a tackle and just keep trotting him out there. I mean, he's certainly not part of the future. We're talking a lot about the future. He's certainly not part of that. So I, I think that in the second half of the season, you know, it would make sense to, to give a guy like Julian Love some snaps there, see maybe what you have. But 
you know, they seem content to just kind of ride it out with Bethea. You know, maybe he's doing a lot of things behind the scenes that we don't see that, you know, it would all fall to pieces if some rookies back there trying to line things up. But it's hard to see how it would get much worse in the back end, uh, you know, when they're giving up big plays with the regularity that they are. All right. There's some positives. Let's move to that. Let's finish this podcast on a bright note, and that is Daniel Jones, who, after clearly kind of taking those steps back that you expect to see at times from rookies, took a big step forward, I think, on Sunday. Um, first of all, the the terrible start. He had the, you know, it was the, his arm was coming forward, and it ended up being a lateral, you know, and a few feet the other direction, and it ends up being an incomplete pass, and, and the Giants are set down 7 to nothing on that play. But after that, Jones just showed the the moxie, I guess, and just the grittiness. Uh, that's the word that, that Shermer likes to use, gritty, um, to come back and have a big game. 28 of 41, 322, four touchdowns, no picks. So he had the turnover, but no interceptions. That's a good sign, especially on the road. 124.2 was the, the quarterback rating. Uh, he's the first Giants rookie quarterback to throw four touchdown passes in a road game, whatever that's worth. Um, but overall, um, when you're in, you know, you're watching this game, Dan, and it goes the other way, and it's it's a negative game. But in the back of your mind, I know you're thinking um, you got to focus on the development of this young quarterback too. So, how do you grade Jones? Yeah, I mean, that was that was an A in, in my opinion. I mean, I've said from the moment they made the change, the 2019, the biggest factor was Daniel Jones' development. I mean, listen, it'd be great if they were winning while he was developing, but yeah, kind of had to figure this would happen with the the team he has around him. But the way he just continues to respond, I mean, that game couldn't get off to a worse start. I believe they went three and out, the fumble for a touchdown. Then he, you know, almost threw a pick along the sideline, and they went three and out on that drive. So, you know, three series, you know, nothing to show for it. They're down 14 nothing, And then he comes out and boom, 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 leads him down on a long touchdown drive, finishes it with a great pass to Slayton. Next drive, another great pass to Slayton. I mean, his, the thing that I just am so encouraged by with him is his ball placement. I mean, it's just – it's so good. It's its like he's putting these balls into such tight windows, and I don't think people recognize that enough, and I know I'm I'm the one who keeps harping on the separation. Just go back and watch his completions and tell me how many of them are easy. Like, it's just – there's I mean, never is there a guy 15 yards downfield just running open. It just does not happen. Everything – you know, it's it, you know Golden Tate has, you know, been, been a pretty good contributor here. And, and it, I guess I shouldn't really be looking for separation from him because he's very good at making those contested catches over the middle. But man, every pass to him seems like it's like life or death and getting through by a fingernail. I mean, you had the one where Jones was rolling out where it literally like went through the Lions guy's fingernail, I think. Um, it's just unbelievable the level, the degree of difficulty on so many of these passes. It, I, mean, I don't know if it's scheme. I think a lot of it's talent. But if, if they could ever just get some guys running open once in a while, I mean, he must kill the, the giant scout team in practice. That must be fun to watch because um it, it's just like he's throwing these balls into such tight windows and, and again he's doing it while you're losing on the road where it'd be easy to press it'd be easy to to make mistakes to, to try and force things but he, he just stays so composed so i mean i just continue to see so many promising things like i even went back and watched the cardinals game last week with tony rassiopi who i've done a couple film reviews with who's a you know, quarterback trainer and he's the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at the hun school i mean he's a guy who's you know played was a big time uh division three quarterback in his day like he's he knows the position and after you know re-watching that game with him and breaking down a handful of plays I came away even more encouraged about that game whereas a lot of people were kind of down on Jones after that but you see there's just so many positive glimmers like the expectations have to be kept in perspective that you're talking about a guy making his sixth NFL start I mean just look at the other young quarterbacks around the league and again we always 
I think people see Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and, and think that's how easy it's supposed to be for young quarterbacks. And then you forget about Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. And, you know, we were talking about Mariota and Winston a couple weeks ago, Mitch Trubisky. I mean, it's a really, really hard position to play. It takes a couple of years for guys to figure it out a lot of times. And, and Jones is making progress. Now, it might not always be linear, and he might just not go better, better, better. But in within every game, he's showing a lot of promising signs. And I think the fact that, you know, he went into a, you know, a road game, fell in an early deficit, and just never blinked, never flinched. I think that's how Saquon sums it up. That, to me, just says so much. And as much as, you know, I've been critical of Dave Gettleman for a lot, if he got this pick right, it really is going to go a long way. Now, you have to fill in the team around him and, have the right coaching staff to make sure everything develops the way, you know, to its maximum abilities. But if they can check that box and it, and it looks like there's a lot of promising signs in that direction, uh, it, like I said, it'll go a long way towards this rebuild. And, and I just continue to be impressed by Jones. And I just really think, you know, fans and whoever it just needs to keep in perspective, you know, what you're watching. You can't grade him against like when you watch Aaron Rodgers play later on, you know, Sunday night. I mean, he's a rookie. He's, he's going to have his rookie moments. But I just think there's so much more good than bad. And, and I just think the way he just doesn't ever seem to get flustered or get down is, is a really promising thing for his future. Everyone loves the touchdowns and the yards. Uh, one thing that stood out to me, third quarter drive when they were, they were driving in Lions territory, uh, he escaped the rush and he just threw the ball away to the sideline. And then on the next play, on third down, he threw the ball away again. The Lions ended up having defensive holding on that play, and the Giants got a first down. But it was back-to-back plays where the Giants need something to happen, but he didn't force it into what could have been you know, the interception he threw in that game. Instead, on two straight plays, he was willing to throw the ball away when nothing was there, and they ended up getting a first down because of the penalty anyway. Um, I think when things like that happen and they happen with positive results, it, it's only going to make him see more that like, you know, this is the right thing to do. And, and these are the times I have to pick my spots. And there are times when you live to fight the next play, as they say. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think all of those things are, are just kind of, you know, we're watching every snap. So you're, you're paying attention to these things. And again, it's not going to show up on, you know, sports center the next morning. It's not going to be a Twitter highlight that goes viral, but, those are the key things about playing this position and you just want to see progress. And, and that is a good point that you, you bring up there. Um, and it was another, I think it was another series early where it's third and long and he looked, looked downfield and then checked it down to Saquon and Saquon dove and came up like a yard short of the first down. But guess what? They punted away and then they get the ball back and they have a chance to go down and score. I mean, I don't remember exactly how that played out, but my point is he didn't force the throw into double coverage and throw an interception and give the defense a short field and make that hole. They've already dug deeper. He just said, listen, you know, let's give it a Saquon. Maybe he makes a play, maybe he doesn't. But at least, you know, we live to fight another day, as you said. So, no, I think those are the things that are, are really encouraging. I mean, it's not it's not glamorous. It's not like, oh, my goodness, you see that throwaway hit on third down? But it just shows, you know, that he's, he's developing. He's, he has an understanding. There isn't always a play to be made. And it, that's one, obviously a great way to curtail the turnovers, to not always put the ball in jeopardy and sometimes just say, listen, they win this down, and I think the, the series you're talking about, I think they were deep in the red zone anyway. So you're, yeah. you're going to get three points there. Obviously, it turned out that they got the penalty and were able to score a touchdown. But that that's a big part of playing the position where you know you just have to sometimes minimize the, the negatives rather than always trying to maximize the positives. 
Yeah, great stuff. So there is a positive to take away, and hey, there's a new giant coming to town as well, Leonard Williams. So we'll see what plays out the rest of this week. Of course, 24 hours, as we record this right now, 3.20 Eastern time, just over 24 hours to go uh, until that trade deadline. If something big happens, we'll we'll be here with reaction on the New York Football Podcast, as always. Uh, with the trade deadline tomorrow, we have you covered with all the Giants moves, but if you want to hear more about the biggest deals going down across the league, be sure to check out the Football Fact Check podcast with Dave Damashek for a complete breakdown of the NFL. That's the Football Fact Check podcast right here on The Athletic. Also, follow Dan. He'll have all the big updates on trades and rumors on Twitter, dduggin 21 uh, Thanks for tuning in to the uh, New York Football Podcast. This one was for free, but if you want to hear all the episodes of the New York Football Podcast, make sure to subscribe to The Athletic. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>